In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show we chat star wars galactic star cruiser with a band of rebels and rogues including journalists brooke mcdonald and todd martins and experienced designer nick tierce all of whom were among the first to board the Halcyon. This is a spoiler-free discussion, which aims to help those who are traveling on board the ship make the most of their experience with just a little dash of design theory sprinkled in for good measure. We also talk with performer creator Steffi Kamei about her currently running one-on-one phone experience we should meet in air which brings audience members into contact with sylvia plath in the last year of her life a quick content advisory on that segment as there is discussion of suicide given the nature of the subject matter plus headlines and the pick of the week but before we go there we've got a special announcement of some breaking news here in los angeles We're excited to be the first to tell you that After Hours Theater Company is bringing back the Los Angeles Immersive Invitational next month. And once again, we here at the Immersive Experience Institute are helping out. The Invitational is a 48-hour film festival-style event where multiple teams playfully compete for bragging rights as they craft immersive experiences out of thin air. This year's Invitational, the first since 2019... Why so long? You know why. We'll feature up to eight teams in competition starting on the evening of Friday, May 13th, and culminating in performances on Sunday, May 15th. This time out, we have slots available for established theater companies and ad hoc teams who want to get into the mix, where you'll play alongside seasoned members of the LA Immersive Creative Community at the Los Angeles Shakespeare Center, just west of downtown LA. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Uh, Teams will have access to the facilities and materials of the Shakespeare Center and a food stipend for the weekend. We're taking care of you. After hours, pick up the bill. After hours is taking care of you. Uh, this uh, this is one of the, my favorite things that we've ever been a part of. Uh, multiple pieces came out of the 2019 one. Uh, Cornwick's casting. We kept on putting casting into the Summit Festival because <laughs> we really want everyone to see it. Uh, Jansen Lalek's, uh The Sleepover, which got turned into a Zoom show uh, and was absolutely wonderful. Just just really fun stuff that just came out of nowhere because it didn't exist before the the event started. Uh, I love this format. Uh, I love working with Graham and company over at After Hours. And uh, this is really just, just, it's here to be a, a way to reignite everyone's creativity and get everyone excited again about uh, making and creating and going to immersive. Uh, The Shakespeare Center uh, has all this stuff in it and these big spaces to play in. And so it it represents unique opportunities and unique challenges uh, for creating uh, what will be like 10, 15 minute top pieces uh, that people are going to kind of crank through. So 
like I said, tickets are going on sale later in the month. I hadn't said that yet because uh, part of the script said riff on event. Uh, the sign up for teams. If if you've got a team or you want to ad hoc a team together, if you're if you're a company, uh, the sign up is open now. That's live now. Uh, check the show notes link and sign up because it's going to go very quickly. We're gonna we're gonna pick the teams the for the remaining slots very quickly. The sign up is live now. Tickets for the finale, which is going to be that Sunday event are going up before the end of this month. Uh, all of the links in the link to the sign up and, and the press release are in the show notes. Uh, so check those there. Okay. So that is our big, exciting, brand new news. Also, uh, I want to thank our latest Patreon backer. Um, we have, and I'm pulling it up right now. Normally I have it in notes. Uh, I want to thank uh, Megan Carroll for being our latest backer here. This means, as I as I check the website, this means that we are currently up to, uh, we're at 368 patrons and $2,324 a month. So we're, we're inching forward. Our next big goal is 400 uh, Patreon backers, uh, which will go a long way to showing that, you know, we're, we, we can survive. Uh, if, if, if you value what you do, we really need that help. Okay. Uh, that is the Patreon update for this week. I'll of course do the sign off. Uh, we have all our sustaining backers on the backside of the show. Uh, and now without any further ado, uh, here's Catherine Yu with the headlines. This is Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Proscenium. And here's what's in your immersive headlines for April 15th. This week, Meta announced their plans to allow creators to sell digital goods on the Horizon Worlds platform. If a creator on Horizon Worlds sells an item for $1, the MetaQuest store fee would be $0.30, and the Horizon's platform fee would be an additional $0.17, leaving $0.53 to the creator before any applicable taxes. The actual transaction would be handled by Meta via the Quest user's account and stored payment details. Additionally, anything bought in a Horizon Worlds world can only be used in the world in which it was purchased. At present, only select creators have access to these selling tools, but Meta expects that to grow over time. Speaking of the Meta Quest, at a presentation at GDC, Meta's Director of Content Ecosystem, Chris Pruitt, shared some metrics around how various apps are performing in the store. So far, 124 apps have earned $1 million in revenue or more, while eight different apps have exceeded $20 million. In February, Meta also announced that the total amount of money spent on the Quest Store had surpassed $1 billion. Speaking of the Metaverse, Epic Games and LEGO are working together to help create a more kid-friendly space in the Metaverse. The new digital experience is intended to prioritize kids' safety and well-being put children's privacy first, and empower both kids and adults with the tools to control their experience. Will this be a viable alternative to Roblox? Only time will tell. And lastly, Los Angeles's Scout Expedition Company has announced that their long-running immersive experience, The Nest, will close later this year. The Thea award-winning experience for just one or two people draws upon inspirations as varied as podcasts, narrative video games, immersive theater, and escape rooms. The final performances of The Nest will take place this summer. And these have been your immersive headlines. (laughs) 
those of you who've listened to the show know that we talk a lot about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser here at No Proscenium. This segment is not going to be us attempting to tell you to go. It's not going to be a big spoiler cast where we analyze uh, the experience. If for no other reason, then I haven't gotten a chance to go and, and probably won't for a while. But what we are doing today is we've gathered up three folks who got to go during the first week that the Halcyon was shipping out to Batu, And we're going to give you uh, we're going to have them give you some advice on how to make ready and how to make the most of your trip if indeed you have decided to go to the Star Cruiser. Because, uh, you know, uh, might be a once-in-a-lifetime chance and you don't want to mess it up. Uh, so with that in mind, I'll have our guests introduce themselves, and I'm really excited about being able to talk with this panel. So starting with... This is Nick Tears. Writer and experienced designer and Star Wars holiday special apologist. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Followed up by. Hi, I'm Brooke McDonald and I'm a freelance reporter. I cover Disney parks, resorts. Um, I also am the content director for Marin Magazine and Better in Chicago. And finally, a uh, returning guest to the show. Hey, I'm uh, Todd Martins. I'm a journalist with the Los Angeles Times. I cover video games, theme parks, immersive entertainment, anything that requires um, play on the part of the participant. All right. We've, we've got a good sense of, of all of you professionally from that. You're just really good at giving those Twitter link bios. Uh, but for the purposes of this conversation, I wanted to calibrate a little tighter uh, with each of you about what your background vis-a-vis -vis the parks and Star Wars as a whole is. Because, you know, much like the tree on Dagobah, I imagine Star Cruiser comes down to what you take with you. So, Todd, what did you take with you uh, when you went to Batu? Um, I came to the Star Cruiser and Batu and Galaxy's Edge as a whole in sort of my argument that theme parks are sort of a live-in video game. And that was how I was able to argue that the LA Times should even cover them to begin with, um, even before Batu um, and Galaxy's Edge existed. Um, I've long believed that something like Pirates of the Caribbean is probably the one of the most influential texts on modern video games. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. But um, so that was, we'll was coming at it from... <laughs> Coming yeah, at it from <laughs> way, to, way, way to toss something in the water for me, like what? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but coming at it from the perspective of we go to these places to play, to interact with environments, um, to interact with uh, cast members, and to um, get out of our get out of our own world. Um, so that was sort of what I went into Batu and Star Cruiser. Um, my background in sort of wanting to cover it and write about it. Nick, uh, how about you? What uh, what did you take with you? metaphorically speaking. We'll get to what you actually took with you later. I walked into this once-in-a-lifetime experience having both Disney parks and Star Wars be these ever-present things growing up. And then as adults, you know, my primary friend group was formed playing the games that Walt Disney Imagineering experimented with in the 10 years or so leading up to Star Cruiser. So Needless to say, it was it was not just like your new band releasing uh, your favorite band releasing a new album. Rather, it was like your favorite band coming up with a new way to listen to music. And so the the hype could not be higher for myself and my cabin mates. And uh, it was just, you know, the perfect marriage of, you know, favorite 
story myth growing up and favorite new format of sort of experimental storytelling. So I walked through the door more than in the bag for it. I was actively rooting for an experience like this to exist for many, many years. All right. Brooke, how about you? Um, well, I have also grown up longtime Disney parks goer, Disney parks fan, um, and also Star Wars fan and, uh, you know, kind of came at this approaching it from both uh, someone who, you know, I'm a Disney Vacation Club member and annual pass holder and a mom who goes with my family all the time. And then I also, you know, cover the parks um, very regularly for work. So um, this is kind of the perfect, everything Star Wars since Galaxy's Edge opened has been, you know, the perfect intersection of the one component that we've been most passionate about that wasn't as present in the park. So with every new, you know, from the Galaxy's Edge opening to the Rise of the Resistance opening. And now this, this has just sort of felt like the culmination of all of those things that I've been both personally interested in and working on so closely for so long. We're all a, a pretty similar type of nerd. Um, and and so this is great because now I'm just gonna be like, okay, I can make myself like the audience surrogate here. I am a massive Star Wars fan. And I know that when I get to go, it'll be my one chance. So for each of you, what's the one thing you wish you knew? And again, we're not going to do narrative spoilers here. I've already got stuff bouncing around my brain. I wish I didn't know. Um, but, but just in terms of like uh, preparation or, or practicalities or, or even mindset, what's the one thing you wish you knew going in that you feel would have given you a chance to make a better, better shot at it? Oh, Brooke. Yeah, I'm happy to start um, because I feel that I went into, I was um, able to go during the media preview. Um, so went into this very blindly. Um, you know, we, everything had been embargoed um, ahead of that point. So I, I wish that I had realized that I needed to be ready to play and interact from literally the absolute first moment. Um, there you know, it's not just the actors that are part of the story. Every single passenger services crew member, every person, and also every guest um, has the potential to carry your story forward. Um, and so I wish that I, I think I was, you know, late to the game, even not getting started with the first words that I exchanged with the first person that I came across who showed me to my cabin. Oh, wow. So like, when when do you feel like you you clicked into game mode? Like what was what was the gap between boarding to to being like okay now it's playtime? I mean it wasn't long, um, mm. and of course the moment you're in your cabin and you um, start interacting with the um, with the droid on your screen in your room and you know start learning the data pad and picking that up, it happens very quickly. But I think I didn't quite realize you know that every person potentially has a story and can, can add to your experience because then I, you know, um, like I said, those passenger services members, you really do interact with them and they are all part of it too, not just the actors. Um, and like I said, the other guests, um, there were a few guests. I ended up deep down a first order path and there were other guests who ended up being with me in some of those really intimate moments at many more times throughout the voyage. So um, had I maybe, you know, connected with them a little bit sooner, that might have even been, you know, that much more meaningful than it already was. Todd, how about you? What, what's, what do you wish you had known 
Um, I think, yeah, sort of piggybacking off Brooke, I went in um, as someone who has done a lot of immersive theater and going in expecting to play from the get-go, but I almost, that sort of ruined my first couple hours on the ship in the sense that I was so stressed about immediately finding a path, immediately finding an actor, immediately finding a story that I was jumping from like room to room, floor to floor, level to level, like on the ship, just trying to find something to immediately latch onto. And I think you could just sort of take a, take a breather. You can relax. Um, you know, I, I did run into Nick in very early on, on, on the first day of my Star Cruiser experience. And he just casually mentioned something and we won't do spoilers, but he just casually mentioned something about a small door on the ship. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I missed out. I'm already lost. I'm, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, you, you have know, like, you have like a quest log in your brain. Don't you? When you arrive at one of these things, it starts filling out magically, you know, um, but yeah, the ship is designed in such a way, especially if you go into the atrium and the lounge, that stories will just generally sort of flow into that area. So if mm. there's ever a moment, especially in that first few hours where you're just sort of overwhelmed or you're sort of panicking and want to make sure you pick a path or you can sort of go grab a drink or grab some food and people will meander into the lounge, people will meander into the atrium. You'll start to see people sort of talking to people. So you don't have to sort of have that sort of immersive theater sort of fear of missing out from the very, very first moment of like having to run from here to here to here. Like it's almost better to just spend those first few hours on the atrium in the lounge, getting a sense of who's who and the stories will start to develop that evening and into the following morning. Interesting. Interesting. This gives me, this gives me good cannon fodder for when I finally talk to the creative team about how they blocked this thing. Cause that, that's, that, that sounds like an interesting way of, of dealing with the FOMO issue and like the, the, the discovery um, issue when it comes to narrative threads. Like whenever I try to explain sleep no more to people, one of the ways I explain it is like, it has the logic of a schoolyard brawl because something will be happening and then you'll see this mass of people, you know, chasing after whatever is going on. Like, Oh, I guess that's where the action is. And, and, and finding a way to, to stabilize that by being like, yeah, everything goes to the atrium. Just park your butt there and you'll be fine. Nick, how about you? What, what did you wish you had known? The, the comments already made, I completely agree with, because I take for granted that there will be guests alongside you who aren't necessarily as aware of how much of a play type experience that this is. And so, yeah, being ready, coming ready to play from the first minute you get there, I think is a great piece of advice for those who maybe haven't had as much experience with immersive or interactive uh, projects like this. But uh, in addition to that, for those who are, you know, very much on deck to get in, say yes, and improvise, go with the flow from the minute you step your feet into that atrium. Uh, I would say the thing I wish I knew was going as early as we did, there's an early adopter risk, you know, like you don't know exactly how things are going to go. And you don't really know even the exact shape of the experience. You might have an idea, you might have a guess. And I, the thing I wish I could have told myself, cause I'm with Todd, I was so anxious not just at the beginning, honest to God throughout, because, you know, this is a once in a lifetime experience and the cost is high. And so you have this pressure on every moment, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to um, ruin my opportunity to get on a path or to have a relationship with the character. And so I absolutely would say something I wish I knew is, look, this experience 
is structured as such that, yes, there are these pinch points where we're all going to come together and share something and you really can't miss that. But also there is sufficient density that you can say no to an invitation. And so I found myself in a place where I said, I've done so much to get here. I need to say yes to every invitation. Mm. And that is something that will have an effect, you know, and, and, you know, you want to say, Hey, a character comes up to you. I need your help. Yes, absolutely. Um, Depending on what type of expectation you come in with or what type of experience you want to have. If your sort of character brain has a negative reaction to that character, you don't have to say yes to them because the experience will have another door for you to go through at some point. And I think for me, I was so eager at the beginning to lock in on a track and to really uh, do a deep dive, which is which is something I do recommend over the whole experience. Like I would recommend anybody to go deep rather than wide, if that makes sense, like to 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 really use those introductory moments, which you will not be able to miss. Like there are introductory moments that really give you a lay of the land on who are all the characters? What are their general, like, what do you suspect their affiliations might be? Who do you want to talk to based on what type of experience you want to have? And, and I would, I would highly recommend honing in on them and going as deep as you can, because I think, you know, you get two or three layers deep on some of these things and that's where the real riches of this can come out. And so, yeah, that would be my number one piece of advice is don't worry uh, if you're, inclined to say no to an invitation because there will be another invitation. Brooke, you were nodding a lot there. This feels like this, this gels with what your experience of, of the narrative flow was. Very much so, um, particularly because our family went in two different directions. So um, and you had, you and had so your kids, because you're like your husband yeah. and two kids. So yeah, per- perfect. When I was perfect, there with my husband. Perfect. Yeah. 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 My husband and my five-year-old and my eight-year-old. And in fact, um, we, we really did do what spoke to us. Um, in a sense, I started, you know, along the resistance path with my older son thinking that that was me and that's what I wanted to do. And then I changed teams. Um, I was hooked, you know, um, I was hooked by the first order and was all, and then ended up switching to, you know, mirror my other son. Um, and, and I, that's actually an important thing to note. Um, if you are traveling with a group, um, and you do want to stay together or any part of your group, um, it is really important. And they do actually, um, I think you get a, some, a paper in the room that even advises to make sure that you do mirror your answers um, and some of your interactions in the data pad in order to um, end up in the same places as the mm. path progresses. So uh, my husband and I did need to do that um, with each of our kids in order to stick with them. Um But what I will say is there were, you know, sometimes we knew what was going on with the other two and it sounded like some, you know, Hey, they've got this really cool meeting. I want, I want to know what that is too. So my son and I would kind of try to spy or, you know, creep up on that. And then there were these moments where all of a sudden I was like, I shouldn't be here. This is not for me. And this is not, you know, like, I don't feel right being in this room because I was so invested in my story. So very much the go deep, not wide. Um, I, I love what you said there, Nick, and totally agree. And there is an elegance to the structure of kind of how they've put this together, you know, because at least in terms of my perception of how this thing works, you know, I don't want to speculate irresponsibly here, but just in terms of how I saw a cause and effect occur, it really does seem like, you know, the technology will not assume why you are in a scene. A physical scene, I mean, with physical uh, performers, because what you just said, there will be opportunities for you to switch sides. There will, or, or even switch. You know, not even, not even 
affiliations in terms of the galactic conflict, but just areas of interest in the galaxy and in the story and what's going on on the ship. Uh, you know, it it's going to allow for you to physically have fun without worrying that it's going to have too much of an effect on the decisions you're making on the data pad, because that the, that will be kind of the the source of truth in terms of like how did you feel about this? What you know, are you are you on my side? Are you not on my side? Those decision points. Uh, are not going to be overridden by the fact that you've been spending a lot of time talking to First Order or what have you. So, so the data pad winds up being like a, almost like a confirmation tool. Uh, they, they throw those questions at you and you, <laughs> somewhere between like, you know, pop quiz, quality assurance on their side, and also just fidelity, like making sure you get routed into what you're actually interested in doing. Uh, but all skinned in world. Right. And that, right? and th- there, yes, absolutely. And there are chapters where it becomes more than that. It is that and more, you mm. know, it, 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 it facilitates uh, interactivity while the actors are not on deck because look, you're on this ship 46 hours. The actors cannot be working for 46 hours. That is not a reasonable expectation. So there will be um, experiences that you can have throughout the ship that, that the data pad will totally facilitate uh, during certain particular moments so todd i guess what i'm getting from nick is like i can't just not sleep and see everything was that a strategy (laughs) that maybe you pursued (laughs) because yeah i because i i sometimes look at the calculation on like you know how much it costs and be like oh yeah but if i don't sleep i get this much more value i i slept for about two three hours each night um and i was up on the deck and to be honest i was pretty much pretty much the only person up on the uh, atrium at that point at three in the morning so there was, you know, of course, nothing happening. But um, yeah, and, you know, I think going in with like a curious mindset, you know, you have the Walt Disney World has the the magic bands, you know, that in- interact with uh, various areas on the ship. And so like the first hour of, of my experience, I didn't link up with um, an actor right away, you know, but so I just sort of use they have these, um, I'm forgetting the correct description is escaping me, but they have like these, um, data points on each floor of the wall that sort of allow you to hack into the ship. Mm. Um, and so I just did a thing where I just went up to there and used my magic band to interact with the the wall access panel. And it was before any character had instructed me to interact with the wall access panel. Um, and I immediately got text messages like within five minutes saying, hey, what are you doing trying to interact with the wall access panel? You don't have access to the wall access panel. Um, so that opened up paths just by sort of being curious and exploring, even if you hadn't interacted with an actor. So there's lots mm. of sort of ways to sort of, if you just sort of let the story come to you, um, right. things will naturally happen without having to feel like, without having to feel like you have to go crowd behind a group of like 30 people and push and shove your way to the front. You know, there's lots of sort of ways for story to come with the data pad interaction. But That's a really humans- good point. How many humans are on board? Well, people, uh, not just humans, obviously. Like, how many bodies are are, are on board uh, a given cruise? Like, that's something I still haven't been able to quite grok. Is it is it like 200, 300 It's people, between or? two and four hundred. Yeah, two and just because okay. there's a there's a hundred rooms uh, with theoretically, you know, you can fit five people in a standard cabin if you are at max capacity, but most rooms will not be at max capacity. Gotcha. Um, part of it involves heading down to Batu, something I'm sure all of you have done more than once before this. Um, d- did that feel like a, a waste of time or did it, 
or did it open up new did it make you see it in a different light um brooks nodding her head i was very I, nervous uh, about going to the two so. <laughs> I, I i would i'm very curious to hear what brooke thinks though because uh, you know there's there, there's a lot of different ways to to think about that question but it's it's a good question I mean, initially, I my thought was why I don't even want to go. Um, I want to see the transport shuttle, uh, you know, because I spend so much time there. Um, yeah. And why would I? So I said, you know, I'm going to ride the transport shuttle there and back and then, you know, get back on the ship. Um, but I ended up really loving it. Um, first of all, it, you, you do feel you get this sense of feeling sort of special with the pins that they give you. And um and you're greeted differently by, you know, the Batu locals and um, everything about the experience was very much a VIP type experience in terms of being able to get um, ride on Rise of the Resistance and Smuggler's Run, um, neither of which I felt the need to ride um, during mm-hmm. that. However, it became pretty clear that, um, you know, your data pads are firing with all of these different missions and messages um, from different you know, players in the game. So it, it was obvious that we, you know, and my, and my kids really drove this too. They said, you know, we've got to complete these missions. They would not have let us off the two and back on that transport shuttle without doing every single thing, you know? Um, so, but then what it, and as a person who really didn't do much with the data pad uh, in galaxy's edge previously um, versus I know, you know, Todd has spent a lot more time interacting with that as an example. So I'd love to hear what he has to say, but um I got completely hooked on it, attached to Galaxy's Edge in a different way. Um, the day after I was done with Star Cruiser, that was the first place I went back to and started playing with my data pad and figuring out what, um, you know, how I could, I wanted more of what we did on the Halcyon. And so that was kind of my way of doing it. And my kids and I, we just got back from spring break. We spent 50% of our trip in Galaxy's Edge playing on those data pads. Like they, wow. I'm it, so it, really completely reframed and just reinvigorated us um, for spending time in the land and finding ways to, you know, do th- that. It's not just about the rides um, and, you know, just those, you know, top line experiences. So I loved it. Um, it's definitely can't miss, but also I would say be efficient. I mean, there's no, you know, knock out those missions, do those things, get back on the ship and definitely eat lunch there because we can, you know, most people can get another chance to eat at docking bay. Yeah. I mean, they may change the menu at some point, but, you know, still, uh, <laughs> at least they'll always be Ronto wraps. Uh, those are popular enough. Todd, uh, you, you have had a lot of time to play around at Batu West with, with, the, uh, with the data pad. Um, how, how different did this, did this feel? Yeah, I mean, and that was my concern. And that was why I said I was scared to go for the same reasons Brooke just mentioned is you, know, you want to spend all your time on the ship. And I'd already done a lot of data pad missions. Um, but I would think that, the trip to Betu really is where so much so much action happens there, and I've long described the data pad as you know the third attraction in Galaxy's Edge, um, and I've long been a proponent that everyone should do it, and I, I think there's a lot of fun with the little mini games in the data pad. I think wearing the pin that you that identifies you as a Halcyon member, um, having the data pad, it sort of unlocked Batu to me in a way that it hadn't been before. I saw I saw the land in a different way and it sort of everything sort of connected in ways that maybe felt as much as I enjoyed doing the games, as much as I enjoyed interacting with the data pad, 
um, everything felt connected, you know, narratively in a way that it hadn't been before. Um, mm. You know, just like little things of like interactions in 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 the cantina of you know having the waitress slip me a coaster under the table and little things of like going on uh, the Smuggler's Run ride and being called spoiled and you know being like accosted for um, being a fancy cruise member. And like, I love that. And I love the cast being so much in character and so ready to play with the people who were there on the Halcyon. Um, Cause that little pin is almost like, uh, you know, the sort of like that immersive theater sort of thing of like, Hey, you can play with this person. You can go up to this person and interact with them in a way that you maybe can't with the regular sort of vacation guest or the way a regular sort of vacation guest isn't going to be expecting. Cause you've already spent 24 hours on board the ship um, 20 or not quite 24 hours, but a day on board the ship, you know, with interacting and playing. So you're already sort of geared for that mindset. So, but two sort of kicks it into overdrive and I completed all the missions and I would just second what Brooke said, you tried to do it efficiently because I was able to get back to, I went there at 8am. I was able to get back to the Halcyon by two and the Halcyon was pretty much empty at that point. And that's when I had some of my best experiences on the Halcyon. Mm was just sort of some of my most sort of improvisational, non-pure sort of datapad-driven experiences, just because there were actors there that were starting early and were ready to interact with guests. And most of the guests, most of the cast was still, most of the guests were still on, but two. Um, I think the actors, um, Nick and Brooke, probably correct me if I'm wrong, start to trickle in about two, between two and four. Um, you know, so it's when the actors start to sort of appear. So you do have a lot, you don't have to worry about missing something in the morning on the ship. Nothing's really going on eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. You know, you can spend all your time on all that time on my two. How yeah. much, how much downtime? Cause one of the things early on when it was announced that I saw people complaining about was like, but I just want to relax if I want a vacation, which I was like, well, then this is not for you and there aren't that many seats. So don't worry about it. But, <laughs> but I also look at things like, you know, there's the bar, the bar looks pretty good. There's a sabak table. Kind of like myself. So sabak. I hear there's a different version, like a, another set of rules. I'm always good for a sabak variant as some people well know. Um, how much time do you get to just live in the world and, and vibe with, you know, you know, cause like you, you can't really live at a movie pace, right? Even if maybe you think you want to live at a movie play, pace, like the characters in movies don't live at movie pace. So how much time do you get to just chill? It's entirely up to what type of experience you want to have. I certainly talk to people who spent hours at the Sabak table. And I'll be honest with you, I spent maybe 15 minutes in that bar the entire trip. And so it's really, there's enough going on that you can really cater it to how you want to do it. Uh, big shared story moments you won't be able to miss. It's it's impossible. So you if you want to sit back and kind of be more observational and just relax. You can absolutely do that. I don't know, not being that kind of player myself, I don't know how much value you feel like you would get out of it. It's entirely up to individual taste, but I would say that the experience is very cleverly designed so that, yeah, no, I was shocked to find that I got two full nights of sleep because the story will stop. And if you want to stay up all night, you can absolutely do that, but there, you're not going to be able to poke at the narrative any further. Uh, mm. There will be curated times for that. And that's why for me, you know, going back to the Batu excursion, that was the thing 
I was most nervous about going in because it's like, look, man, this is a once in a lifetime thing. I'm here to be on the ship. I don't want to leave this ship. Uh, but I'm saying that as someone who has spent an ungodly amount of time playing with the data pad in galaxy's edge. You know, I, 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 I accidentally kicked off a trend of people building phone cases to put their phones in costume for the data pad. Like the data pad, Which I then am led very to Disney with. making kits uh, where yeah. they sell that ability to people now. So congratulations. Right. Yeah, and no, that felt like a big win. Cut, you know, so. it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a game, but if it was a game, I would have won that part. Uh, yeah. No, that, there's no question. But uh, so, so going in from that perspective, I will say star cruiser is absolutely designed as if you have not been to Batu. And mm. if you have been, I would say speed run it, uh, which is absolutely possible. If you're spending more than an hour or two on planet and you're very familiar with it, you can, there's a way to absolutely go through it. And quite frankly, if, you know, they've written the story so that the narratives of the two rides are intricately woven into the narrative of Star Cruiser, like really intricately. So if you're already familiar with the story of the ride, um, you know, Hondo might say a slightly different message to you on Smuggler's Run because you're a Halcyon guest. But absent that, there's not really any customization, uh, which was something that was pioneered in the experiment Ghost Post, which was a Haunted Mansion subscription box that allowed you to have custom ride audio on Haunted Mansion, which was just utterly mind blowing. That that does not occur, uh, at least as of when we cruised for uh rise of the resistance but the story of rise of the resistance is central to the story of star cruiser i will say though as a tip for those who are deep divers and are already familiar with those two rides there is a path in the app if the rides are down and they will give you an additional character mission to run on planet if you say you weren't able to ride so I would say, even if it's not down and you're like, look, I don't want to ride Rise of the Resistance again. I've ridden it a hundred times. I would say, maybe tell the data pad that you can't ride it and you'll unlock uh, a little something that will be a bonus little tidbit. Uh, you can also just ride it and then tell it you didn't. So either way, <laughs> either, either way, you know, you go with God, do what you want to do. But uh, the the thing for me was it's narratively essential. You have to run those miss missions and it's kind of mechanically essential because who you run missions successfully for on the planet will directly affect what invitations you're given for the finale of the experience. So I would say you have to do it, um, but you can do it very quickly if you want to. And I will say that as someone who did that deep dive into the data pad, there is nothing more complex mechanically than what already existed in the data pad. This is simply in a new narrative context. So you will be experiencing stories you couldn't have experienced before, but the way you can interact with Batu has been there since the opening of Galaxy's Edge. It's just been perhaps not capitalized as much as people would have hoped, but it is there if you poked at it. And I completely understand if anyone wasn't willing to. And if you haven't, like Brooks said, it's this revelatory experience because you're like, oh my God, this is that third attraction that Todd talked about. Absolutely. So I'm delighted for the kind of reputation boost Star Cruiser has given to Datapad because I understand people's criticism. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I would say get back on that ship as quickly as possible. And don't have lunch on the planet. Sorry, this is a very specific tip. <laughs> is, it, it, this is a food tip for people. If you've eaten everything at Docking Bay, you know, uh, uh, they give you a free credit to have free lunch at Docking Bay. 
But there is also a a lunch buffet on the ship. And I would say for me, the two lunch buffets were far and away my favorite food offerings. So I would say if if you're familiar with Docking Bay, please have lunch on the ship. It, it It's worth it. I may grab a Batu Bond, but I, I don't need to. I don't need to get the full, you know, tip yet going on. Um, Nick, we've gotten we've gotten your your kind of pro tips for, for it, and I and we could talk about this all day, but I know everyone's got lives we got to get back to. Uh, I mean, you do, maybe I don't. Uh, so to respect everybody's time, I just want to ask uh, Todd and Brooke, it, in the similar vein of the tip you just gave about like maybe tell them that the ride is down. Is there any? Is there any like you know little little stand out like try this hint you might share with uh with everybody i'll give you a moment to think about that brooke do you got something gosh um not to spoiler not to spoiler (laughs) i know that's the thing yeah no it's Um, this 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 is this is threading the the eye of the needle with a camel so Todd, you got something? I mean, something? I guess mine oh, would be it. more broad. Th- I mean, more yeah. broad than that in terms, you know, just in the same vein of do not miss the breakfast or lunch buffets, I would say um, they're both so wonderful. Um, can you can and- you try everything? Like as part of the buffet, can you get like a little tiny bit of, oh, see, that's, I'm in. All right, that's worth the price right there. And, and I was just noticing. And they either. Sorry. I mean, there, yeah, there are different, um, there are a few repeat items from one day to the next, but uh, but not all of them. So just because you had lunch on day one doesn't mean you had lunch on day two. So definitely try everything. And on your way out um, in the Sublight Lounge, they do have a grab and go breakfast option too, um, where you can get a little box and take a little bit of Star Cruiser food off planet with you when you leave so um that's one more thing to make sure you grab on your way out oh that's a really good tip that 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 feels like something that could be easily missed uh get that get that last morning breakfast um todd how about you any 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 little pro tips yeah i mean i definitely agree with nick uh nick's advice on telling the star crew or telling the data pad maybe things you didn't do um brooke's advice on the food as well um just a couple of smaller things that worked well for me was definitely, you know, spend a lot of time, not, not a lot of time, but definitely spend time in the room interacting with the 309. Um, that's sort of the droid um, inside a panel on, on the room. And if you go in there at different types of day, D309 will remember what you did. If you go in there at different types of day, like I got back from uh, Batu and I went, I had a, a character experience and then I went to put down my bags in my room and I logged into D309 and the droid sort of gave me this entire seven or eight minute role-playing game um, that was very like Dungeons and Dragons inspired. Um, and I got to do that and it was a, a nice little experience. So there's little things sort of here and there. That was, you know, something I, I really enjoyed. Um, also, you know, yeah, I mean, my best experience on the ship occurred in, in the climate simulator um, where there were some actors there, and I initially wasn't even going to go in there because I'm like, I just got back from Batu, and why would I go I outside? I'm yeah. the ship. I don't need to go outside. Um, I went in there, and there were luckily I was very lucky to find two um, actors in there and have an experience. And I went in there just to check my email, and um, you know that was the only purpose. And I ended up having this great experience. Um, and I did spend a couple hours in the lounge, um, give myself away wanting to try the beverages. Um, but also just doing that allowed for stories to come to me. You know, there's, uh, you know, I think the Imagineering calls it sort of the rom-com path, but that happens primarily in the lounge with, um, two of the, 
two of the aliens um, interacting in that space. Um, and that was something I wouldn't have found if I wouldn't have just gotten a drink and hung out for 20 minutes. Before I, I would show, love go, to, go, go uh, can I, I would love to just build on that for just a minute. Um, because Todd also, um, and you know, we talked about being sort of more passive and letting the stories come to you and how much, you know, and can you have downtime? And, um, I, I will say that I think being, Yes, you can have downtime and just sit and relax with a drink in the bar or in the atrium. Um, but I think that during those key story hours, which are basically from, say, 3 or 3.30 through 10, um, try to you'd want to be out and about rather than in your room. And even though that, you know, the D309 is really cool and you want to spend time interacting with it and, you know, just looking at um, your portal out into space, um, really you know, I, I, we even nixed a costume change that we had planned at one point, you know, because we didn't want to waste the time during the hours of three to 10, you know, changing before dinner, because there's a lot of story happening there. So just being available for things to come to you, I think is important. And, you know, spend that extra time in your room and just stay up a little later and do that stuff, um, you know, outside of those main hours. That's a really That's good a point really about the costume idea. changes. Yeah. The The costume changes was something that surprised me because I think the fan culture around Star Cruiser started before anyone knew the shape of it. And so I absolutely overpacked on costumes. Uh, I thought, oh, I'll change for this. I'll change for dinner. I'll change for that. And I personally found that I had no time to change. No one changes in Star Wars. Right. You got to go through so, a whole story arc to change clothing. Like, right. come on. I, I would say bring, for, <laughs> as a tip, I would say bring one for each day at the maximum, personally, for my taste. Uh, honestly, though, if you have, you know, like an over something that can be consistent between the two, I think that only helps for character recognition. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I could, I could nerd out deeply with all of you about this, but I think I'll save that to after I've been on planet or off planet as it were uh nick brooke todd i would like to spend the next three hours talking to you about this but we, i gotta let you guys go uh thank you all so much for hopping on the podcast this week this has been a lot of fun thank you noah and thank you as one final just sort of send off for this experience one thing we talked about and didn't return to was the idea of i don't want to miss anything but the truth is this is designed with such a density and a simultaneity that you intentionally can't see everything. And that's part of what's so beautiful about it because the story you walk away with is going to be the one that you tell to each other is mm -hmm. asking your fellow passengers, what did you see? What did you see? Oh, and then they ask you, oh, I saw this. I can't believe it. Oh, that's the other half of this thing that I saw. Wow. And so the collaborative nature of assembling the story is absolutely a feature and not a bug. So as a, as a big tip, just for mentally going into this, accept that not seeing everything is a good thing. And that your path and your path through the web of the story is going to be unique to you. And that's what's beautiful about it. Yeah. That's a good point to end on. Thanks, Nick. All right, y'all. I'll see you soon, I hope. Hi, this is Patrick McLean, the Chicago Curator with No Proscenium. Each week we publish a review rundown and then gather for a review crew in the podcast feed to talk about all the things we're enjoying and excited and just buzzing about. But it is here and only here where we reveal the pick of the week. This week, the pick of the week is brought to us by 
Leah Davis, your New England correspondent. Hey, Leah. What is the pick of the week you have for us? The pick of the week this week is We Should Meet in Air by They Played Productions uh, and Steffi Kamei. This is a 30-minute phone call through telephone or Discord. Uh, It's a $30 ticket and running through April 30th. Okay, and so here's the big question. What makes this the pick of the week? Oh, man. This is just such a charming, intimate, soulful little show. And and it's so deceptively simple. It's like spending half an hour talking to a good friend. Uh, somehow, Kamei manages to make talking with Sylvia Plath seem almost mundane. Um, in that you're talking about things that are happening in both of your lives and she's listening to you and you're listening to her. But ultimately this is a phone call about being at a crossroads and I can't tell you how effective it is. Uh, You'll have to experience it for yourself, but I left, I left this phone call feeling sad and satisfied and a little forlorn, but all in the best way possible. I I don't want to give any spoilers, but especially for people who are thinking about changes they might want to make in their life or changes they have to make or or an unknown future, uh, I, I think this is a really a really good show for you. It's also expertly acted. The voice acting is spot on, um, and you'll even if you don't know anything about Sylvia Plath going in, you're going to leave feeling like you know her as a person and hopefully inspired to check out a little bit of her work. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, cause we also discussed this on the uh, latest uh, review crew episode. And I think what entices me so much to go out and experience is this, is that it's just, it sounds like it was just a really rewarding conversation that you had and that you were really able to get into it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think even for people who aren't, especially confident or interested in being on a phone call, Steppy guides you so seamlessly that it's just, it feels effortless uh, on the audience's part. So rewarding is exactly right. Well, I'll definitely, I got to probably boogaloo because uh, I'm it's coming up here to end soon and I'm sure the tickets are going to go fast after this. So <laughs> Leah, thank you so much for bringing the pick of the week to us this week. No problem, Patrick. Always a pleasure. Okay. And don't forget, you can find the review rundown at noproscenium.com and this week's Review Crew podcast, where we talk about this experience in depth, just one spot back in your podcast feed. Joining us now is Steppi Kamei, the creator of We Should Meet in Air. This is a over-the-phone interactive experience designed for one audience member at a time, and it's framed as a phone call uh, between the audience and Sylvia Plath on her final birthday. Steppi, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. 
Stebby, you've been uh, acting on the Los Angeles immersive scene for a while now. Uh, you've done a lot of work with They Played Productions, who are indeed uh, producing this particular piece as well. Uh, and now this is a remote-based telephone experience. So I wonder if you could kind of explain what the show is, and then we'll start diving into some of the details uh, that were uh, provided to us by Leah Davis, who did the review for us. Absolutely. So... You pretty much nailed it in the intro. It is an over-the-phone, immersive, interactive audio drama. You do speak with both me, as Steppy, as myself, as well as Sylvia Plath, the poet and author of The Bell Jar, who passed away in 1963. So without spoiling too much, you do, there is some time travel involved. (laughs) Why uh, a piece about Sylvia Plath? Who is Sylvia to you? Sylvia Plath, as I try to make very clear, is I consider her the guidepost for my life. It's quite an intense statement, but I really mean it. When I was a teenager growing up in the Bay Area, I had no, I had never heard of Sylvia Plath. I had no interest in poetry. I thought it was this stuffy, archaic, outdated form of art. I had no interest. And then in school, in high school, one of my teachers introduced me to Sylvia Plath's poem, Daddy, and it changed the course of my life. That day, I went home and wrote my first poem, and two days later, I submitted it to a poetry contest, and I won the poetry contest, and it was a really clear lightning bolt moment of before and after. And I've actually been, I am a published poet. I've been writing and publishing poems throughout my 20s. I'm pretty private about that, but it's a thing. So she started a big portion of, she she steered the course of my life, of my career. And so that's professionally, but personally, I, I think a lot of people can relate to this, especially fellow creatives. It was, I saw my, myself in her work. I, it was like looking in a mirror at times. It was incredible. And it just made me feel so validated and seen when you, you know, when you're a teenager and everything feels so hard for whatever reason, it really just spoke to me in this incredible, incredible way in so many ways. And so I've, as you said, I've been an actor, I've been a performer for many years, but when it came, when the time was right for me to start creating my own stuff, it just felt like the only option was to do a tribute to the the person who gave me a creative and personal voice. So that's why Sylvia Plath. You, you've picked this form of the, the one-on-one you kind of dialogue, conversational driven immersive. I mean, that's, that's what the telephone form is best at. It's kind of like, it gives you no other options in, in so many other ways. How, how does taking this part of yourself that, that seems to be pretty fundamental and, and, mixing it up with an audience uh, and, and, and letting them into that part of you. How's, how's that process been so far? And is it, it, it I can imagine it might be a little bit harrowing. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I've been quietly churning this idea over my, in my head for about two years. I first started thinking about it back in 2020 and then various things happened and it didn't happen. I'm really, really glad for that because I had to do some, personal healing on my own life journey. And it got to a point where the beginning of this year, 2022 in January, I, I was, 
I was ready. I knew it. And so I called up my rider dies, Eric Blair and Thea Rivera of They Played Productions. And I said, remember that Sylvia show I wanted to do? Now is the time. So that's how we've gotten started. And yeah, I it is deeply personal and there is something terrifying <laughs> about that. Um, but it's just so important to me. What I will say is that I really, very early on, I was pretty happy with the work I was doing with this show, with this piece, and I felt really confident in it. At the same time, thinking, this is such a weird little thing that is clearly just going to be for me, and I don't know if people are going to be interested or relate, but I have to do this. It's been in my mind and my soul for years, so I can't not do it. And, and without spoiling too much, it's the timing is very crucial. I, what I will say is that I'm approaching my 30th birthday personally, and Sylvia Plath was only 30 when she passed away. So it, it very much felt like the right time to do this. And um, now that all being said, people have been responding so incredibly to this. I've heard people say, you reminded me how much I love poetry. I'm going to go crack open a poetry book tonight. And that's been so amazing to me. Or I've heard people say, you've made me more interested in learning about Sylvia Plath, the woman, not just the the depressed person who stuck her head in an oven. Like, I really want to know about her work. And those kinds of responses are incredible because that's kind of what I was hoping for. Um, and I have felt very lucky that that has been the response. A couple of things I want to follow up on here, but but before I do that, I, I do want to get into the structure of the show, just so people mm. who might be considering it. Sure. Um, how how does it work? What are what's the audience called upon to do, and, and sort of how did how does it work to like you know interact with both? Well, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you asked that for clarification. So it is an all over the phone. It is I, I call you, and all you have to do is pick up the phone and there is no wrong way to do this. You can respond any way you like, as much as you like, or as little. If you want, you, you give what you get, you know, if you want to be really, really engaged, I am here for you. I have improv training. I, I've got this, um, whatever, whatever you want to throw at me. I mean, be cool, but like, you know, right. anything you want, however you want to engage in this is, it's an open playing field. It's a, it's sandbox over the phone, I guess. Right. And um, well, but are, are you? But are you also looking for? Because that's something that sometimes sandbox can mean, you know, hey, whatever you want to do, and and that can mean people kind of really like fr you know, freeze up, right? Like, right? Uh, you know, what is it that you're in the moment? What are, what are you as as artist? What are you embodying, Sylvia, trying to like? I understand. Get out of the audience. Like, what's your motivation? Yeah. Right? The scene <laughs> okay. is, is between two people or, or multiple people and everybody wants something from someone. Yeah. Like, what do you want out of the audience? And like, does does Sylvia want something different from what Steppy wants out of? <laughs> okay. Very, very uh, good question. So that being said, I will, I say it's sandbox, but yes, I'm going to be guiding you. I'm going to be holding your hand throughout it. And uh, yeah, as, as Steppy, I want to connect with you as a creative and share mm. with you this very personal thing to me. And I do ask, 
have you ever been inspired? Tell me about it. And I've heard everything from, yes, Miyazaki inspired me to the Royal Tenenbaums to um, going to the zoo. And I've heard it's just a lovely conversation where we both share intimately what is important to us, what has shaped our lives, uh, what what art has shaped our lives. And then um, as Sylvia, so you are, when it gets to that portion of the piece, it is October 23rd, 1962. It's her 30th birthday. And she's just finished one of the best poems of her life. She doesn't know it, but that's the real day in real life. She wrote this poem, Ariel, which went on to an appeal at Surprise. So, and she's reading it to you and she wants your feedback. And you, this is what I meant. I guess when I said you can be as engaged and as honest, mm-hmm. you can say whatever you want to her, but the poem's not quite finished yet. She's having trouble with the ending. Maybe you can help her. And so that's, she's looking for certainly some guidance and support. She's going through quite a rough time at this, historically at this time, her husband had just left her for another woman. She was living in a foreign country. She was trying to raise, she was, she was raising her two kids on her own. And so she's really poured herself into her work as an artist relatable (laughs) and um so that being said she also she's also looking for a friend it's a really hard time and um it's kind of established that you are a friend and you are welcome to provide her with any sort of advice words of wisdom comforting listening ear that you feel comfortable with leah had uh gave me some questions before we we started here uh, you you were around for this, pulling the curtain back. Stephanie was around for that part. Uh, you, the listener, yeah. was not. Uh, and and she had a question about how, you know, what what you're looking for, like your relationship to the audience, how that might mirror your your personal relationship to Sylvia, uh, because she's been this kind of guiding light for you. Um, it, yeah, like like. What is the dynamic? It's like Sylvia's looking for a friend in the audience. You're looking to discover uh, people's, uh, you know, sources of inspiration. It it does feel like a platonic love triangle, kind of, right? <laughs> like, like that's that, that's the vibe I'm here. So, like, how how have you thought about this? And 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 is this something that you've kind of like? you know, mapped out or are you sort of feeling your way through this based off of an intention? Yeah. So this is an amazing question. It's certainly not a question I thought of just to be fully authentic. Uh, I love it though. Um, I, there's an opportunity, yes, for relationships to be formed from the audience to me, to Sylvia, to themselves, how, as they see what's being reflected um, yeah, I, I won't be as audacious as to say I want people to like, look to me the way Sylvia's regarded. I mean, whoa, but I, I, the reason why I open, I chose to open the show as myself, there's a few mm. reasons to it kind of guide people in. Um, so yeah, people have expressed like, so we just pick up the phone and Sylvia's there. It's like, no, we're going to guide you in and it's going to start with me just connecting with you very like you just used a phrase pull back the curtain and that's kind of how it starts and to establish that relationship 
Something Gently almost like a, like a almost like a seance, you know, a yes. effect to it, right? I'm so happy you said that. I'm for so many reasons. Um, very much so. Uh, I, I got really excited right now. I love the occult, and Sylvia Plath also, towards the end of her life, really got into Ouija and the occult, and there are references to that in the show as well. So, seance is not wrong mm. uh, at all. But I, I want to make it really clear I'm not trying to be morbid here or macabre or, um, you know, creepy like that in any way as much yeah. as she she has passed away. And yet there's a there's a, a way we do things in which I I mentioned that I like reading her poems almost almost like a spell. And when I do, I feel she comes alive again. And outside of the show, I think that's just true. Any poet that's left written work, you can see it. If, if you choose to see it this way, you can see it as sort of a spell. And whenever you read it, they're there again. And um, so that's kind of how I move through the piece. I love that you said seance. <laughs> Leah hit us with another one that's kind of equally heavy. And and I'm actually glad that you said, you know, you're not thinking of this in terms of wanting to be morbid or, you know, I, mm-hmm, there, yes. there's nothing in the tone here I get that is of the macabre. And it and it can be difficult because you know, famously, you know, like I mean, one of the first things everyone learns about Sylvia Plath is that you know she she passed and she passed by suicide, and yes. it's it it's uh, it's so charged and and yet to be approaching, you know, the the terms of her life and her work by trying to look at you know framed as how it's been a, a bright spot for you, how it's been a sympathetic ear, uh, a, a, a presence that's given you structure. Um, that's something that we can often have a really difficult time grappling with uh, in mm-hmm. this culture. Uh, the idea that someone could like, you know, find a, find a guide in, in someone who passed in that way, but yes. it does leave a bit of charged, you know, in that she's been this, you know, figure for you for a long time. And to put it bluntly, like you're, you're running out of narrative time with her. Like yes. you're hitting 30 and like, there's, th- you're, you're an undiscovered country now. So yes. uh, Leah put it as like, what comes next? Like what comes yeah. next for Sylvia? What comes next for you? That's, that's, that's a, not an easy question <laughs> at all. I can imagine. <laughs> no. But are, are you, are you maybe this, this almost feels weird to ask. Are you maybe looking for some of those answers yourself as as you make this piece? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> kind of hit oh. the nail on the head there. And I do want to get more into this, but really, I want to circle back really quick to, oh, yeah. I really am glad that you heard and that the tone is very clear that I'm not trying to capitalize on the fact that she attempt, committed suicide, that she was suicidal, that there's depression. That's not, this is not depression gore. I want to mm. make that super clear. Um like you said, she is a bright spot for me. And I, I kind of knew a little bit about this, but as I was researching this show, I couldn't believe how actually the, the weeks leading up to her suicide, she had a lot of hope, actually. She mm. was writing these poems that became the best poems of her life. And she knew it. She was confident and she got a haircut and got a new wardrobe. And she was writing to her mother, like, I'm a new woman. I'm a single woman. It's the 1960s. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to move to the, she moved to a flat in London that Yates lived in. 
And um, it's just, she had a lot going for her. So I want to make it really clear. I don't, I've moved, I personally have moved away from this, seeing her as a sad girl that's just destined to kill herself. She had a lot going for her. She had a beautiful life mm. and circumstances happened. And this is a much bigger conversation, but I, I would say she was really let down in a lot of ways. Historically, you have to remember the historical context of treating mental illness, especially women who were mentally ill in the 60s. Not great. So there was a yeah. lot there. But I really do want to show people that she's not just, she's not defined. I think the great tragedy of Sylvia Plath is that she's best known for the worst day of her life. And I really try to move away from that into something more bright. Now, <laughs> I had to say that. Thank you. Now, going back to what you said about, yeah, I'm running out of narrative time with Sylvia. Such a good way to put it. And what comes next? That is very much a big purpose of why I created this show is because I don't know. I've used her as a guidepost for my career, for my the way I move through the world, how it makes sense of the world, how it makes sense of my relationships, familial, romantic, friendship-wise, and yeah, it's run, we're running out of time and it's very intimidating and I don't have the answer. I don't have the full path, but I've laid a couple cobble, cobblestones for myself with this show and with connecting with people who are helping me build those cobblestones. The things they have said in the show have been so profound for me personally. I wish Sylvia could hear the things. I'm very happy that I hear the things that people say and it's helping me build a road for myself as I go through my thirties um, and whatever the hell is going to be there. <laughs> um, did that get all of your question? Was there anything I missed? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that that covers, that covers the nut of that. Um, okay. I'm, I'm also wondering, you know, have you, have you done the telephone format before? Forgive me for not knowing this off the top of my head, but no, have, no, you, no. have you done um, the telephone format before or, or, or maybe just a little bit in part? I, let's see. I don't, I have actually. <laughs> the past few years have been so wacky. Yeah, like the fact yeah. that like, none of us can be like, what did we, what were we doing? What did Let's I go, do? Have we done a telephone show before? I don't know. And you know what? I don't find that weird. I find that like a perfectly no. natural like reaction. I'm so glad. Yeah. I even thought like, what have I done? It's still March, 2020, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. No, literally I, like, I mean, I was like, it's still March, right? Oh, Five minutes before we recorded, I was like, oh, did I pay my AAA bill this year? I hadn't. <laughs> so I was like, glad I didn't get a flat this week. So Yeah. Yeah, I what hear you. What is time? What is um, time? Uh, so I, before the pandemic, I don't think so. It was all very much live performance. Right. Um, since the pandemic, I was involved in an ARG at the end of 2020, in which there was phone call uh, little like kind of brief things. It was like Discord and phone calls and Zoom mm. calls. Um, so it wasn't a full phone show on its own. It was kind of an ARG mixed approach. And encounters, then yeah. encounters, yes. And then I did, I, I did do, a, I did, I have done Zoom shows, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time as an actor, let alone as a creator, I've done phone. And that is a beautiful thing of kismet where it makes sense because of COVID. Some people are going back in person. Some people aren't comfortable. It's still weird right now. So I think it, hits a sweet spot where people can still go back, venture out into creativity, but from their homes. And also it works really well because Sylvia in the 1960s would not have access to Zoom. So a phone call where you only hear her voice just made a lot of sense. 
how do you find this format as a performer and, and what does it afford you that the others don't? Yeah, I, I didn't, it's interesting because I wasn't, I was kind of feeling limited where it's like, well, in-person stuff is still weird. People are kind of staying at home or they've moved away. So I guess we'll do it over the phone and it makes sense. And I was kind of trying to make it work. And then it became very clear. This works amazingly for so many reasons. I actually really like that it's only my voice you hear because I do use my voice as a huge instrument in this because you hear me as me and then you hear me as Sylvia, which is a radically different voice. And I get the impression from what I've heard from audience that that shift is really pronounced because you're not seeing somebody transform. You're just hearing me like, hey, I'm Steffi, what's up? And then you hear Sylvia and it's a radically different voice. And I think there's a magical quality to the fact that you, it's that thing of like when one one sense is taken away, the others are heightened because Mm. you can't see. I feel, I get the notion that it's more powerful when you do hear me as Sylvia um, and it just, it, it, I imagine it lets the audience really open up in their, in their minds. Like, okay, I'm visioning this 30 year old woman in a dark, stormy English co- cottage core cabin in the countryside. Um, I think it really allows them to visualize it more than if I were like in zoom doing a background, um, or even a live show. And that being said, we are planning a live show. So as as a continuation of this piece but you they're both standalone um that's a little a little bit of a teaser for you <laughs> well let's let's let let us look ahead uh this sure. production's running through the end of this month it's april 2022 right now sorry yes. it actually isn't march 2020 i know i know <laughs> uh, relief disappointment i'm not sure which way to go i'm not sure <laughs> um that's this run. What's the, what is the future here? Uh, is this a one and done or is this in your repertoire now? This is absolutely in my repertoire. And that's another beautiful thing about it being over the phone is it's not like I have to worry about securing a venue over and over again. So it is something that we do absolutely plan to bring back uh, in all kinds of ways, however we can over the next year. It's especially because this following year, it's so in terms of relating to the piece, I'm still 29 for the next little while. So that's, this is the time to do this piece. So we will be bringing it back. This initial run through April is our first run. And we're, we're currently applying to various film festivals or festivals that offer digital components, ARG festivals. Um, so definitely stay tuned to hear about that. We will kind of see whenever we've, it seems like a good time to, to kind of pop it back up for a weekend. We will do that. And then, yes, as I as I teased a little bit, this is, I don't want to say part one, because it is a standalone thing, truly, but it is part one in the sense of we do have a live show. We're in the very early stages of planning. We're hoping to bring it next year to Los Angeles and maybe elsewhere if it does really well. And that is going to be an exploration. This is an exploration of Sylvia. It's just Sylvia on her birthday. The live show will be a experience in which you meet Sylvia, her husband, her husband's mistress, and the mistress's husband. Because historically, each of them have a radically different take on what happened. It is astounding. Mm. Um, So it's going to be sort of a Rashomon where you can get wildly different um, 
experiences based on who, which character, which person you are paired off with as the audience, and you will come back together and make of it what you will. All right. Steppy Kame. Uh, the show is We Should Meet an Air, and it is currently running. And as everyone heard, all the rest of the details. So if you if you can, catch it on this run. And if not, keep an eye out. And thank you so much for uh, coming and talking to us on the show this week. Of course. Thank you so much. And that's it for the show this week. A lot of people to thank. I want to thank Brooke and Todd and Nick for being our guests during the Star Cruiser segment. I want to thank Catherine for taking care of the headlines. More on that in a second. Uh, I want to thank Patrick and Leah for doing Pick of the Week. I want to thank Steppy for being uh, here for talking about her show. Also, want to thank Leah for giving us some really good questions to ask. Steppy, try to get Leah to do the interview. <laughs> like I had Allie do the interview last week. <laughs> try to get Leah to do the interview. We're gonna work on it. We're gonna work on it. Particularly these, these two epi- these two interview shows, so that you know it's not it's not just me. I know. I get exhausted of me, too. Think about it. I have to be myself all day long. Um, golly gee, Willikers. Uh, this is this big episode. Uh, we're like an hour and 16 minutes in, so I'll, I'll wrap it up relatively quickly. But I did want to tell you, uh, there is a there's a chance that Catherine will be uh, stepping away from the headline uh, position soon. There might be some other stuff. She's She's wrapped up her time at USC, and she's being like... The, the, the pull of the games industry is pulling her in. So um, I don't know. Don't know. Uh, I do know that we've got uh, a few other things happening when it comes to uh, the staff. So uh, another thing that we announced this week is we are looking for volunteers uh, to help out with uh, work at both uh, the work we're doing at Everything Immersive and the work we're doing over at the Institute. So on the everything immersive side, uh, we need both in both cases, we're looking for people doing copywriting and, um, you know, copy editing and, and just data wrangling. So not the most glamorous of, uh, volunteer, uh, positions here, but nevertheless, uh, we've had a couple of really good responses so far, and I'm going to be getting back to people over the weekend. Uh, but what we're looking for is folks who can help us, uh, add more, uh, pieces to the Everything Immersive database. So uh, we just want to make sure that we're capturing as much of what's going on in Immersive as possible so that the Everything Immersive site can live up to the name Everything Immersive. Uh, and also to connect it with, uh, you know, find work, put it in the website, and then connect to the people who are making the work and say like, hey, uh, here's this listing, uh, you know, please take control of it. That's the whole reason why we built the website is we want artists to be able to sort of self-service themselves there, make changes as they go, et cetera. So we're doing that. Uh, and those positions also come with uh, the, the potential to curate your own lists. So, um, you know, being a, a curator on the Everything Immersive site, uh, coming up with your own uh, lists of things to do in interesting places or your favorite phone shows, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is on the table for those positions. So we're looking for folks who have about, you know, about three hours or so a week they can they can dedicate to, to this. So not a, not a huge commitment, but enough to check back in a, in a couple of times, uh, you know, half an hour, an hour, a couple of times a week. So there's that. Over on the Institute side, 
uh, Parker has been leading an effort to uh, for us to start collating a lot of the core resources. Um, you know, one of the things that's happening this year is, uh, you know, the efforts we've been doing under the the Leia banner uh, for for business purposes, for legal purposes, Leia is spinning down as a legal entity. Doesn't mean it's spinning down as a collection of human beings or as like a, a community identity. Uh, but frankly, it costs money to keep that going and there's been no revenue for two years. So uh, you're going to do what you're going to do. Also, strictly speaking, we don't need a 501c6 right now. Uh, I mean, I'm talking stuff that like a lot of you don't know what I'm talking about. It's fine. Uh, but, uh, basically to do the stuff that we need to do as Leia, the tool that we need, we don't need a 501c6 right now. We need other things. And, but there are things that were never, uh, the kind of thing that could only be happening in that tax structure that can happen at the Institute. So we're taking some of that, which includes the resources pages. So we used to have a venue menu Leia. Uh, we're going to bring the venue menus back for different regions. You know, those, those will be one of the like the second round of things that'll come through, uh, but resources about insurance and resources about education. And indeed we're going to start with resources for educators and for students. That's round one, but we're bringing on some other people. We're looking for volunteers who can help us build out those pages with the idea being that we create a one-stop shop here at the nonprofit for people who are looking to get in to immersive and start creating or to deepen their skill set. Uh, and then in time, more resources, how to ensure, how to build a budget, all that sort of stuff, one click away here at the Institute's website. So if you're interested in helping us build that out, drop us a line. Uh, links will be in the show notes to the release on that. Okay, that's enough uh, this time because it's an hour and 21 minutes in. This whole operation is brought to you by... Uh, <laughs> the loans I took out and our Patreon backers. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us at patreon.com slash no proscenium. We definitely need your help to do this work. Uh, we're, 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 we need a lot more money to pay people what they're worth. Uh, but the people who pay us uh, and, and help us keep this alive, they are our sustaining backers. They are Ari Hurstan, Chris Woolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, I got to meet Jerome this week. It was great. David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sydney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all so much for keeping us going. The associate producer of this is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Shivana Lachlan for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor of No Pro and this podcast and all the things that are wrong with it are my fault. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you with the show. <laughs>